Today's episode is brought to you by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. Hello, everybody, and an early happy Halloween to you all. This is Ben Rathert coming in with the second half of our wonderful episode entitled South that we recorded on October 11th, 2019 at the St. Nicholas Brewery in downtown scenic Ducoin, Illinois. In this second half, we have speakers Kyle Triplett, Felicia Diegas, and Jeremy Connie. I meant to mention in the last episode, uh, but I will definitely mention here, that our new decal for this podcast, which you can see in your podcast feed, uh, was designed by Mr. Jeremy Connie, and I am just as pleased as heck with how it turned out. Uh, the trees, the hills, it's all right there, and it's just a wonderful little icon. Makes me happy every time I see it now. The music in this half is brought to you by the Cover Me Up Trio, Tony Baker, Kyle Triplett, and myself. Uh, and you even get to hear me play a little harmonica on the second song, which uh, Tony put me up to, and I was not dissatisfied with how it turned out. There was, again, in this half, uh, a fair amount of room noise. Uh, in particular, there was a larger-than-life Jenga set that had captured the attention of some of the younger members of our audience, and you can hear that thing being built and collapse a few times in the background, so do forgive that, plus a squeaky door that really needed some WD-40. I've heard a lot of great response out there for people who have tuned into the podcast and checked out last week's episode. I, I hope that this week also meets with satisfaction. Uh... It still just thrills me to be able to do this, and the next episode, which we've already begun planning for sometime in January, is in the works, and if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can just reach out to us on our Facebook page, and you can check out our details in the information for this podcast. Thanks to everybody who made the trip in and the trip down for this episode. It was just a magical night all around, and I hope there will be many more to come like it in the future. Uh, Stay safe out there, kids. We are starting the second half of our wonderful southern expedition, Your Story South. Uh, first thing I wanted to say up front, and I didn't even mention the second in the first half, uh, is that the founder of this podcast, not really founder, the, the person who made this podcast what it was, Eric Garneau, was going to be here tonight, but he was en route and had to turn around and go back to Chicago because of a work emergency, so I was pretty sad about that. But anyway, he gets to listen to the podcast like the rest of us do. So anyway, we'll, we'll be waiting for you, Eric. Um, we've got uh, our, our two songs lined up here for the beginning of our second half, and they are, well, one of them is coal-themed anyway, So, and that fits for Southern Illinois. Always is coal. So I'll leave it to you, Tony. All right. Ready, sir?
Number. John Prine is from Chicago, which we played City in Orleans earlier, and that's where Steve Goodman's from, and apparently they knew each other. Didn't know that, but old acoustic song players together, and here we are playing their music. They're from Illinois. They count.
is a tune by Greg Graffin, who's from Bad Religion, as you can clearly tell from that. But he, he did some great stuff. I listened to a couple of songs recently. They were awesome. So, Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, and speaking of Kyle, all right. Uh, I've, I've written down here uh, the thing that I wanted to say, if I can get back to the microphone here. So, Kyle Triplett, I've had the pleasure of knowing for lo these many years, and he has recently moved on up to the position of healthcare management instructor in the College of Applied Science at SIU. He's taken his job working IT for one of the local large doctor's practices and has taken that to educating our youths about informatic services in the healthcare field. And it, boy howdy, if you're gonna get into anything, get into informatics about healthcare because those are two things that are never gonna go away is how this stuff works. Yeah. But yeah, I'm gonna hand it over to him. Kyle Triplett. Um, I don't know that I'm going to play anything extra, but I'm a lot more comfortable with an instrument in my hands. I don't know what to do with myself if I don't have a guitar or something with me. So I'm going to hold this. Um, when Ben uh, texted me about this, uh, like Ben said, I've known Ben for years and Tony as well. And we get to we don't get to play music together enough, but we do it every now and then. And Ben said, "Hey, man, we're doing this podcast again." And, I'd love you to come over and play some tunes and tell a story. And, and he told me the subject matter was South. And uh, I loved it immediately because I grew up in what I considered a very Southern culture. Uh, it wasn't actually any further South than where we are now. I grew up in Southern Missouri, but it's actually due West of Carbondale by like three hours. However, it's an entirely different world. Um, it's vastly different, and there I could I could talk for hours about all the weird things that I've encountered in my life. But uh, the one thing that stuck out the most to me, and this came up in conversation when I met my wife. So when I was 19, I was playing in a professional bluegrass band, touring around the region and around parts of the country, and I met my wife. She was playing with her family, and I immediately, the day I met her, I told her I was going to marry her. I was just infatuated and she grew up in Carbondale and so I grew up in southern Missouri and she grew up in Carbondale I grew up in a town of 400 people riding horses raising cows playing banjo she grew up in Carbondale going to art class doing ballet being cultured so there was a, a vast difference and over the few months that we dated we got married a year after we met and in that year's time we talked about everything from religion to raising kids, to music. Um, and the one thing that came up was a difference in dialogue. So, or dialect rather, as it were. So I noticed that I said things in a way that she didn't understand. And I thought, man, that's weird. We're like three and a half hours apart on the map and yet it's two totally different worlds. Now, most of us, at least I hope, most of us get three meals a day at least, right? Who here eats breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Most of y'all. Who here eats supper as the last meal of the day? Thank you. Yeah, either way, some people can go either way, right? Dinner or supper. So with my family, and with my grandparents specifically, the three meals of the day are breakfast, dinner, and supper. I, I varied that a little bit. I'm a breakfast, lunch, and supper person. My wife is a breakfast, lunch, and dinner person. And it's funny how this works out because over the course of our marriage, we now have four kids. Um, 
And it's funny because I get home off work a couple days of the week. I get home around 3.30 or 4 o'clock. I tend to cook most of the meals because she works late. And uh, on the days that we're both off work at a decent time, like Fridays, neither one of us really work late, she'll say, go get the kids for dinner. And I walk back to the room and I'll say, it's time for supper. Go wash your hands. And so the kids have grown up. They, they say both, but my oldest son, who's almost 10, he'll come to me sometimes and go, are we eating dinner or are we eating supper? <laughs> and I tell them, like, it, it's, it's really the same thing. Now, if you say that to my grandma, she'll tell you dinner is noontime and supper is at 4 p.m. because that's, that's when they eat. Uh, but it just it struck me, this difference in language and this difference in dialect and how um, over meeting each other, uh, that, among the many, many other things that we grew up noticing differences in, that, that idea of, of dinner versus supper and meals, and I realized that um, there's not been a lot of contention in our relationship. We've really, um, we've coincided on pretty much everything. And that doesn't cause contention, but it does make for a lot of humorous interactions because she'll talk about going to a dinner party, and I, I still struggle to say the word dinner if I'm talking about the last meal of the day. To me, it's always supper. And it's always going to be. Um, but it's, it's just funny to me how it's worked out in our life because we, uh, we, we open our home to a lot of people. Um, I was just having this conversation with, uh, with a few people here earlier about some things that we're involved in where we try and uh, make our home as accessible as possible for a variety of uh, people and a variety of needs. And we feel like it's our calling to make the world even a little bit lighter for someone else who might not have those opportunities. We don't have a lot, but we try and extend what grace that we do experience. We try and give that out to other people. And a lot of times that comes in the form of meals. I like to feed people. I cook a lot. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. If I'm not playing an instrument, odds are I'm in the kitchen with a knife in my hand cutting up something to feed somebody. It's my favorite thing to do. And uh, it actually, one of the ways it wound up being the funniest is about one night a week we generally cook breakfast for supper. Or as my kids call it, breakfast for dinner. <laughs> and they're wrong. I'm just going to say that right up front. Um, I, love, I love my kids, but they're, they're absolutely off, off base on that. But it's actually, that's been one of the funnier times because they'll invite people over. Uh, my kids are inviting everyone all the time. We'll meet, even if it's somebody we barely know and we see them at the grocery store and we're picking out food, they'll go, yeah, hey, we're getting ready to go home and cook. Why don't you come over and eat with us? Because that's what we do, right? We just have people in our house. We open our, open our doors. But it's funny because they can't decide. When I make pancakes at night, is it Brenner or is it Brupper? They can't. Because we know what brunch is, right? But what is it when you combine breakfast with the last meal of the day? What is it, how does that get called? And so um, all that to say, this issue of, of language and, and South, like I said, I've, I could go for hours talking about uh, the area I grew up in and what, uh, what being from the South means to me and what that looks like even living here in Illinois. But this idea of meals and camaraderie and fellowship together over this, even a time like this, right? Uh, uh, most of us that are eating here tonight, you're having supper. We're having supper together. <laughs> if you thought you came here for dinner and a drink, you were wrong. You're here for supper. But uh, it's... Uh, I joked with my wife first time we went out on a date. Somebody said, you going for dinner in a movie? And I said, I don't go to movies at noon. We're going out for supper in a movie is what we're doing. Um, but no, it's that, that difference. But either way, whether you have dinner or you have supper, um, 
there's an, there's a sense of fellowship and food is one of the most basic needs in all of human life. And if we can uh, extend grace to others around us in those ways, I think that's probably one of the greatest things that we can do. And there's a sense in which, uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Southern stuff and I think Southern hospitality, despite uh, some flaws that people may see within Southern culture, I think Southern hospitality is one of those things that we can all agree is probably a pretty good thing. And opening up our homes and our lives to other people and, and making those those needs met and uh, being accessible for things like that is important. Um, and that's that's all I really have to say. I'd like to play one tune real quick. Um, I wrote this. It's just an instrumental thing. You don't have to listen to me sing. Uh, nobody wants that because you'll lose your supper over that, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but I wrote this song earlier this year, and I don't have a name for it, but uh, it's... Uh, I don't know, whenever I wrote it, it just kind of feels like, like coming home. It's inviting and warm, and I hope you enjoy it.
Jeez, man. <laughs> just, yeah. you know, just ask you to tell a story. Brought this, I just composed it from home. You know, it's just a little something I whipped out in my spare time. Kyle, you are incredible. Uh, man alive. Uh, I think I say both, honestly, dinner and supper. I think it's exchangeable for me. I, I can't say I'm committed to either one. I'm, I'm, I'm a person of both worlds, north and south. <laughs> anyway, thanks, buddy. All right, uh, our, our penultimate speaker. We've got two left here tonight, and I am excited about both, let me tell you, but this next one, this next one, I'm super excited. She is a newcomer to, I think, podcasting in general, but certainly this show. Uh, th- this is someone who's driven the length of the state and, in fact, has crossed state lines to be here tonight. Um, but my dear friend and book club member, Felicia Diegas. Come on up here. Uh, thank you, Ben. Um, so I'm very nervous. As Ben said, this is my first time podcasting. Um, I'm a high school teacher, and I told my students why I wouldn't be in school today. And I said that I was very nervous because I was going to have to speak in front of people. And they were like, um, isn't that what you do all day, every day? <laughs> and I said, yeah, but it's different. Uh, you know, they have to follow my rules, and, and I don't think you all would respond well if I told you I was going to call your parents if you're on your cell phones. <laughs> um, so when Ben asked me to tell a story and said that the theme was South, I was stumped because I don't really have a lot of experience with the American South. But I realized I do have experience south of the border, south even of Mexico, in Central America and Guatemala, where my father was born. So my story is going to be quite a bit different from the ones that we have heard here today. Um, My last name is Diegas, as you heard Ben say. Good pronunciation. Thank you, Ben. (laughs) Um, And when I tell people that, I get a lot of raised eyebrows and questions. Um, We'll skip the complications and questions about why a fair-skinned, freckled woman is half Guatemalan and just say, I look like my white mother. (laughs) My dad was born in Guatemala and came here with his parents when he was a boy. I had a chance to visit there when I was nine years old, uh, and I jumped at it. I traveled with my abuelita, and my abuelito traveled with us shortly after. I think there are a few things people think of when they think of Guatemala. It is, of course, a developing nation. Uh, It's an incredibly violent nation with a high rate of homicide due to gun violence. Uh, It currently has a level two travel advisory from the Bureau of Consular Affairs. Tourists are advised to exercise increased caution due to crime. So there are problems in Guatemala. I think sometimes when I tell people that I traveled to Guatemala as a kid, they probably imagine that I lived in huts, surviving on rice and beans, hiding from drug cartels. (laughs) But that was not so. So now remember, I'm going off of my memory from when I was nine years old, okay? So bear with me. Don't quite have all the details. And for some reason, my abuelita does not seem all that interested in confirming my memories, except for when to tell me that I was wrong. (laughs) For example, I thought I remembered picking mangoes from trees, salting them, eating them, and having a horrible allergic reaction. I recounted this last Christmas, and she said, it wasn't mango season. (laughs) 
I looked it up, and she was right. So for the past 22 years, I've been telling people I'm allergic to mango. I've been going to restaurants with tasting menus and saying, no stone fruit, no mango. <laughs> Not allergic to mango. I don't know what I'm allergic to, but I am still afraid to eat mango. <laughs> So back to the huts. No, we did not stay in huts. At least at the time I was there, my family owned multiple coffee plantations. So the life I experienced there was not what people might imagine. Coffee is obviously one of Guatemala's main exports, and although many of my family has different careers, uh, coffee farming is the main family business. So when we arrived in Guatemala City, I wasn't sure what to expect but we went to my cousin's very large, beautiful house where we'd be staying most of the time. So my family dynamics are weird, okay? I don't know how it is with other families in Guatemala, but ours is weird. So I called my cousin Uncle Frankie. He's not my uncle. I don't think his name is Frankie, but that's what we <laughs> called him. Um, we stayed with him, his wife Marlene, and his kids, Francisco, Sigri, and Nicole. I have recently found out her name is not Sigri. Uh, I don't know what her name is. Um, <laughs> and then they also had a lived, live-in maid named Claudia, who was also a cousin. The story is, one of my abuelitos' many brothers got disowned. I don't know why. Um, but he had a bunch of kids and the family didn't want to abandon them, so they either got figuratively or literally adopted. Uh, one was adopted by a cousin here in the States. I see her at least every Christmas. She's going to get married this year. So the family connections are complicated, but staying with my cousins felt familiar because I have a bunch of siblings. One is here now. Um, <laughs> and their, their ages were very similar to my, my siblings' ages. So Francisco was the same age as my older brother, and he terrorized me just as much as my older brother did, so that was nice and cozy. <laughs> My cousin Sigri was my same age, and um, Nicole was my little sister's age, and she was just as much of a brat as my little sister. <laughs> so that I was totally at home. There were, of course, cultural differences. For example, Alanis Morissette's album, Jagged Little Pill, had come out a little while ago, and I had been begging my parents for it. As a going-away gift, my mother got me the cassette tape, and I had an off-brand Walkman with a Tasmanian devil on it because I was really, really cool. Um, and, <laughs> and I listened to it nonstop on the travel to Guatemala. And I have a really good memory, so I had memorized all of the lyrics by the time I got there. Unfortunately, my cousins did not understand the appeal of Alanis Morissette, no matter how many times I made them listen. <laughs> but I do remember one in-depth conversation we had. If you are familiar with Alanis Morissette lyrics, we tried to figure out what it meant to go down on somebody in a theater. <laughs> we all got it very wrong. Guatemala for about a month that summer, and it is a beautiful country. I visited volcanoes, humid rainforests, where I saw a live jaguar, busy street markets. I woke up most mornings to the smell of eggs and black beans, which is a common Guatemalan breakfast, which I still make for myself. It's very good. 
but I also saw some things that upset me and made me understand the world better and in some ways worse than I did before. Everywhere in Guatemala, I saw a stark contrast between those who had money and those who were desperately impoverished. I now know that Guatemala has one of the highest disparity levels between the rich and the poor, but I was not at all prepared to see that as a child. I was not prepared to witness the extreme level of poverty that I did. I was very sensitive, and it was hard to grasp and process. One memory that sticks out to me, we were at a street market, and my cousin bought us all sodas, which they gave us in little plastic bags with straws sticking out. And as we were walking along, this, this stooped old woman came up to us begging for a soda. And my cousin Marlene gave it to her. But what I remember is this woman, this old woman, her wrist, she was so skinny, her wrist was even smaller than my tiny nine-year-old wrist because she was so malnourished. That image burned itself into my brain, and I found myself thinking about it often as a kid, even when I came back to the United States. I think about it often even now. And I thought about the fact that my family was obviously doing well, even them, better than my family in the United States. And these people that I was seeing were so poor. And also one day we were riding horses on one of my family's haciendas. And there were these sweaty, dirty men who were bringing our horses to us. And I asked my cousin Francisco, who are those guys? And his English was shaky, so he didn't know how to answer. So we asked my abuelita to answer the question for us. I saw her struggling to answer, and she said... They're slaves who help us here. I was horrified. She explained that my cousin gave them a good life, that he made sure they had a comfortable place to live, and they ate well and were happy. But they were slaves, and I couldn't get past that. It seriously upset me. I have since learned that slavery was abolished in the 1800s in Guatemala, so it might have been a translation issue, I hope. I felt a lot of guilt about my family status in Guatemala. In America, my family is decidedly working class, and I experienced extravagance with my Guatemalan family that I had never experienced at home. At first, it was really fun. I was a bookworm as a kid, and I had read enough novels about English heroines that I felt like I was in one of those novels. But then I came face to face that is the stark reality of a poor nation the uneven distribution of wealth. And even to my child's brain, I understood that it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair that my family clearly had so much money and that poor old woman had to beg for soda because she was so malnourished. And whenever I hear or read a story about the difficult conditions in Guatemala or about the fact that Guatemalans make up a large percentage of refugees at, uh, refugees at the border, of those families who are so getting we're getting so cruelly, callously separated by our current administration, I feel pain and I feel guilt. I don't have a grand takeaway. I feel incredibly lucky to have gotten the chance to travel to such a beautiful, interesting place at such a young age. And that experience opened my eyes to so many things. It made me aware. It made me more sensitive to issues of poverty, which has helped me to be a better, more empathetic teacher to a largely underprivileged student body. All I can say is that while I have very complicated feelings, guilt and confusion about my family's privileged, I am very proud of my cultural heritage, and I am proud to be a Diegas.
Wow. I, okay, so I'm born and raised in Southern Illinois. We didn't go anywhere beyond St. Louis, Colorado, Texas, these kind of places. Definitely never went out of the country, ever. Um, it's, it's amazing what you don't get exposed to, uh, in, certainly in a small town, but, you know, really anywhere. Um, if you don't travel, if you don't see outside yourself, to see, you know, the things you, you hear about on the news, it doesn't seem real. You know, to, to do what you did, to, to go down there and actually have real memories of it there, man, man alive, that's got to go deep within you. That, that, anyway, that, thank you for sharing that. That was a great story. Um, man, anyway. Uh, I keep thinking about Alanis Morissette lyrics, and um, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think it's ironic that, anyway, we're, we're, we're moving right on past that. We are to our last speaker tonight, and we got one story after that. Um, I, I don't want to cut into whatever tale he may be telling, but I, I'm just going to go ahead and say that this guy has had a bad week <laughs> up to this point uh, with, with at least one accident on the road, um, not, not at all his fault, um, and then the travel plans getting down here from Chicago were kind of waylaid and turned about, but he did make it, and it was a heroic effort on his part, and I'm happy he's here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, one of my very best friends, Mr. Jeremy Connie. So in the early spring of 2017, I traveled on what was one of the most unique roads I have ever been on. It wasn't particularly beautiful. It didn't, certainly didn't offer any views. But it was stunning nonetheless. You could describe it as a road in the middle of a forest. But that would be doing it no justice. It was barely two lanes, at most a lane and a half, serving both directions, so felt tight. And whereas most roads, you have the road, a nice shoulder, then a gradual progression into whatever else, a grass, forest. This was a lane and a half and then immediate forest. And I don't mean, oh gosh, there's some nice plants, and I can see it gets a little bit more dense, and oh, that's beautiful. This was immediate, <laughs> nothing but dense forest right on either side of a lane and a half, at least a story tall, for as long as felt forever. I was on it for somewhere between 20 minutes and several hours <laughs> of this winding road of just, oh gosh, the forest just wants to come really close to me for some reason, road. And I unfortunately don't have any pictures to show you, even though it was incredibly stunning and, and stark in my memory. I was very stressed at that moment because even though I was on this beautiful, stunning, unique experience, I couldn't concentrate on that and experience it because I was running out of gas. <laughs> I, this is all taking place in New Zealand, which is the most far south that I've ever been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I go on international photography trips trying to take pictures of beautiful landscapes uh, so this was on day two of my trip, having rented a car, started in Christchurch, went down to Dunedin. I wanted to see the most southern part of the South Island, 
And I did, and then I went up, started going up north. Um, that is to say, I had spent enough time in the car to run out the tank. Um, what I didn't realize that between the southern part, southern tip of the island and where I wanted to go, and had faithfully planned out as much as I cared to, uh, there was a giant forest. There was, and the only way through it was this road. So, <laughs> about a quarter way into this uh, road in the middle of a forest, I realized not only am I at two bars of gas left in my tank, I have no cell reception because I'm in the middle of nowhere. And I don't know, I can't tell how long this is going to last. I don't know if I'm going to make it out of the forest. So those two bars of gas meant everything to me <laughs> to those moments. I started watching it like a hawk because as soon as that first bar goes away, I know how much, at least a minimum, I've got left on that last bar. So I've, I'm doing calculations in my head. Start the timer. What do I got on this bar since I've noticed to now when it goes away? And I start running the worst-case scenarios. I'm stranded in the middle of nowhere without the ability to call anybody. What happens then? What do I do then? So I'm white-knuckling it through this just winding road of nothing but trees. And luckily, I do make it out of the forest. So now I am entered into rural New Zealand farmland. Down to one bar of gas. Still no cell reception. I start running through the next scenarios. Why well, now I have at least people I can go to. What do I do if I get stranded? I have to go up to a stranger's house and talk to them and ask them for gas? <laughs> ask them to take me to the nearest gas station, maybe? I don't know. I have not done this before. And I've certainly not been in this area of this country doing such a thing. I have no friends. I have no one to call. So I start... I keep driving, and I take signs to the nearest town, all while feverishly looking at my gas tank. Uh, I do reach what is the most sorry-looking gas station I've ever seen, but the most, this, is the, this is the most elated, most relieved I've ever been to see a gas station. I pull up, and I've, I fill up, and I'm just over the moon to be able to fill up my tank with this liquid. Wonderful. And what I take away from this experience is not the visuals, not being able to drive in a pretty part of the world, but that I was racked with potential embarrassment and nervousness about having to go up to complete strangers. 
and, and ask them, please, please, can you help me? Um, but at the end of the day, I still felt very fine if I had to do that. I, if, I, if the worst came to be and I had to go walk to somebody's house and say, hi, hello, I am an idiot. <laughs> I did not plan. I would still do that because I still felt good about relying on my fellow man. And that also makes me feel like the next time that someone comes up to me asking, please, can you help me? I want to help them. Thank you. I, I read it recently. It was, uh, yeah, come on up, guys. Uh, it was a quote from uh, Fred Rogers. It was something to the effect of, like, there are three ways to be successful in life. Be kind, be kind, and be kind. And it's amazing how that just, I don't know, how do, how do we confuse that? <laughs> how do we somehow make it think that's not the answer? But it is, you know, always, always reach out. Hope for the best. And, yes, good lesson to take forward, Jer. Thank you for sharing that. Real quick. Yes? How about a hand for Ben putting all this together tonight? Oh, Lord. We've got one tune left. We've got Mr. Tony Baker, who's going to be kind of to accompany me. Uh, you know this song because you're alive. Um, and uh, the, if, uh, if you, if you want to sing along in the chorus, you are most welcome to. We are, we are welcoming you and your, your vocal efforts on that. But this will be our closer for the evening by Mr. John Denver. Ready again? Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is old there, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a reed. Country road, take me home to the place. To the place I belong. 
This podcast has been produced in association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com slash nerdalogs. Thanks for listening.